Well, good morning and for blessing that you could be here and uh, pray that, as always, this message, though it may be... Um, that it may be convicting in part, I pray that it's also a blessing and encouragement for you. We have been, as you all know, going through the issue of Bible versions. And in that issue with respect to Bible versions, trying to answer the question on what on earth motivated so many convoluted versions of what God said and how it is that we might be able to rationalise within our minds at all that they can all be equally true. And of course, as we understand, they cannot be equally true because they all need to be different. Do you know, by the law of copyright, basic law of copyright, there is that which is known as a derivative copyright law. Simple. Every single version of the Bible has a copyright. And each one can be different and must be different to a degree of between 20 to 25% an original derivative work. Now... We have over 400 different versions in the English language. I've got about 30 of them in my own library. If they're all the same, how can they all be different? And if they are different, how can they be the same? Something happens to us as Christians sometimes, I think, that we lose the faculty of being able to think of some basic concepts. We know that they cannot all be true. Do you know that they can all be wrong, theoretically speaking? Every single version of the Bible can theoretically be wrong, but they cannot all be true. Only one can be true. So those are the two options. Either they're all wrong and nobody has the word of God today, or one can be. Logical, isn't it? Makes perfect sense. And of course, we hold that position here, defending the authorised version of the Bible, the King James Version. We believe that God's hand was specifically on that version of the Bible that actually transformed the entire world around us. And we see evidence of that everywhere, especially now as everybody has turned away from the Word of God, we see what's happening. What's happening? Well, they're calling good evil. They're calling evil good. They're putting darkness for light and light for darkness. Bitter for sweet and sweet for the bitter. Everything in the world seems to be inverted today. It doesn't take much, just a casual look on a social media platform and everything's inverted. Now we've got hospitals that aren't even operating on individuals because they don't want to take an experimental vaccine that has proven to do nothing as far as being able to heal people. So what is going on? What is going on? Well, this is what's going on. We have abandoned the Word of God. We've spoken at length with regards to this and we find ourselves, interestingly, having entered into this time of woe that Isaiah speaks of here. The passage gives reason as to why such a time as this has come about and we want to have a look at that this morning. Before we do that, let's, let's open a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for this time and I ask and pray, dear Father, you would be with the hearts of those that are hearing that having in every way, dear Lord, a desire to understand the wonderful words that are spoken of in the Scriptures, that they would have a desire and a willingness to do so. That also, dear Lord, each one of us would humble ourselves in every way, that we would recognise our own contribution to this fallen world and this fallen state and that we may in every way no longer contribute to it So I pray, dear Father, please be with us this morning. Be with us. Be gentle with us, but bless us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The title of the message this morning is the seventh in the series and it's called The Permutation of Truth. Big word, but I had to find something that started with a letter P to follow everything else that I did before. So it simply means a mutation of the truth or a replacement of the truth. I'd spoken about it in previous messages. We did the protest of truth the week before last and we did the prohibition of truth last week where the truth itself is now prohibited. Now with the truth itself prohibited, there must be a permutation. There needs to be a replacement. You see, Satan doesn't work in the way that we think he works. Oh, and I forgot my prop. Darn it, I had a prop. Really good one. Oh, anyway... Anyway, Satan doesn't work the way we think he works, right? He doesn't, he doesn't come the way we would like him to appear. He comes in a very, very subtle form. And what we've seen is he changes the word of God. Once he changes the word of God, then he denies the word of God, the prohibition of truth. Changes the word of God, the, the protest of truth. Denies the word of God, the prohibition of truth. But then he replaces it. Gives you the apple. You'll have eyes to see. You'll be as God's knowing good and evil. So there's always going to be a replacement. What does the Bible speak about with regards to the last days? All these multitude of religions that we have in the world today is going to be changed and there is going to be one final global religious system in the world. And we have multitudes of organisations that are moving the world towards forming a final world religious system. This system is the system of Antichrist. The Bible presents it. You've heard it here before it happens. So that way you know. You've got it in your book. It's spoken about for 2,000 years. There will be a single world government. There will be a single global digital currency. And there will be a single world religion. doesn't matter how much we protest it. It will come about. That doesn't mean that there can't be a lengthening of our tranquility potentially. If we would break off our own sins and we would turn again to the word of God, we could have a lengthening of our tranquility. But if everything moves in the direction that it's moving in at the moment, it may come about sooner than we think. And we're seeing evidence of that. There is a reason why people call evil good and good evil. They put darkness for light and light for darkness. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They have abandoned the word of God. It's no longer there. The text tells us in verse 24... Because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Simple. When you despise the word of God, you take away the word of God, you're not left in an empty vacuum, you need to replace it with something else. And that's exactly what's happening in the world. According to the book of Romans, the mind of man becomes reprobate simply by rejecting what we can plainly see with regards to, to God. We end up with a reprobate mind, a mind that no longer has the ability to function properly anymore. We just doesn't have the ability to think what's right, what's wrong. There's an individual that's making a fashion statement. It's in your newsletters today. I don't know if you've seen it with the balloon pants, you know. So I thought that was really interesting. He's considered normal, but a praying family, they're extremists. They're extremists. You know, this gentleman, Sam Smith, some of you might know who that is. Job speaks to this in Job 21, verse 14. He says, Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. When man so evidently rejects the knowledge of his ways, the only thing left for man is its replacement. Its replacement. They've changed 
the reality of truth. They've transformed it. They've, they've given a mutated version of truth and that is what's required to replace the truth. First, the denial that truth exists to begin with, then will come its replacement. Now you're seeing people around the world being chastised for believing something that everybody believed in history for thousands of years up until yesterday. And now all of a sudden we are told that we need to believe something completely different to what everybody believed was normal yesterday. Jeremiah speaks to this with regards to the nations. Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. The reference is in your newsletter in the, uh, in the sermon notes. Jeremiah 6, 18 to 19. Let, it, let me read it for you. It says, therefore... Well, turn, turn there. Go on, turn there. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 18 to 19, because this is, this is important. Jeremiah 6, Isaiah, Jeremiah, so it's the next book. Jeremiah 6, verse 18. He writes there, Therefore hear ye nations. That's, that's us. So we are the nations. Israel is Israel. We are the nations. All the Gentiles are the nations. Therefore hear ye nations and know, O congregation. That's now Israel, right? Congregation, the congregation is Israel. Therefore hear ye nations and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. You recognize that? What is happening in the world today is exactly the fruit of their own belief system. Their belief system is one thing and now they're going to be receiving the fruit of that belief system and it will be to their own destruction. And this is how the Bible presents it. We've seen this before. You've seen in the book of Esther, Haman building a scaffold and building a tower in order to hang a righteous man on it. And who was hung on it? Haman himself was hung. Haman essentially built a tower to hang himself on, not even realising it, not even realising it. The Bible says there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And this is not unusual. We see this continually, that in the scriptures, people set traps for others that they themselves fall into. Psalm 57 verse 6, Proverbs 5.22 says this, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself. And he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. Proverbs 1.18 And they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. Proverbs 1.31 Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Proverbs 11.5 The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way, but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. There is a part within us that gets angry at the changes that are happening in the world today. Beloved, one of the things that we are called to, one of the things that we are charged for is to love our enemies, to love those people who are themselves wicked because I can honestly tell you, but for Christ, that's you and I. If it wasn't for the Lord Jesus, we and, you and I would be going through the same area in the same way. We would be doing the same things to the destruction of our own lives. I've never yet seen somebody moving in a direction that they want to move in according to their own lust that ended well. It doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. 
And this is that which is found here. You're in uh, Jeremiah chapter 6. Just move forward two chapters to chapter 8. Jeremiah chapter 8. Verses 9 and 10 there. Speak about the wise men there. And it says the wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? Therefore will I give their wives unto others and their fields to them that shall inherit them. For every one from the least even unto the greatest is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Everyone dealeth falsely. Notice there's, there's none immune here. It's the effect of rejecting the word of God. Nobody's immune in the text. Not the wise, not the prophet, not the priest. None of them. All shall be ashamed, all dismayed, all taken by their own error. Now, of course, we're talking about the Word of God. We're talking about the King James Bible. And you, you want to know what's this got to do with our why we hold to the King James Bible as the very perfect Word of God for the English-speaking people? The answer is a simple one. We're living in a world that's rejected it. And this is the consequences. We're living through the consequences. What I want to demonstrate to you is that there has been a change, a replacement of the truth. And I'll give you some examples as we move on through this on how modern versions have actually changed the truth and changed the word of God to move to the current state that we're living in today. Pastors themselves contend against the very word of God. Every single time they sit there and they say, but a better word is, uh, but that's an error, what it should be is, but that should be wiped out completely and replaced with, or a more perfect translation is, well, the translators were wrong here and I'm going to be the one that's going to tell you what the truth is. You don't have it in your own hands anymore. You've got to, you've got to listen to the man behind the pulpit. And this is what they've done. Everything has become inverted. You thought that there should be wise men leading the nations and I thought so too. And then we watched the 2016 elections in the United States. We had Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and we thought, Really? the greatest nation in the world, and this is the best that you can come up with. And we thought it couldn't get any worse. And now we have the aged octogenarian Joe Biden who could barely string a sentence together, together with the mentally 16-year-old charged Camilla Harris as the potential future leader of that country. I mean, I don't know if you've ever listened to her speak. Have you ever listened to her speak? Do yourself a favour and just tune in and listen to Camilla Harris and ask yourself what on earth has happened in such a short time. That, that is who you would put second in charge of the world. This is the result. This is the result of a people who have abandoned truth. They no longer have discernment. They no longer have wisdom. Regardless of how they got into those positions as leadership, the fact of the matter is they were put there by people who had no discernment or an agenda, one of the two. This is what should be expected if the word of God is rejected. Fools become our leaders. The base people of the world become those who have the charge and the rule over us. We have a young girl by the name of Greta Thunberg, now 20 years of age, although she still looks 13, she is there fronting up at the United Nations and the United Nations give her a standing ovation, even as a 13-year-old. 
How dare you, she says. Not knowing even... Well, she's probably spent less time in, in school than most people have. And yet she is the one who the United Nations is following and now she's got a book out. She's got a book out. Children are going to be leading us. Why? Because we've become unwise. You were in Jeremiah. Go back to Isaiah. But go back to chapter 3 in the book of Isaiah and let me demonstrate to you what has happened. According to the Word of God, this is a great book, I love this book, because it explains everything. It's awesome, you should read it, really. No, seriously, you should read it. Isaiah chapter 3, Isaiah chapter 3. Have a look at this from verses 1 to 6, we're going to be taking the text here. It says, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of fifty and the honourable man and the counsellor and the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator. And I will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them. And the people shall be oppressed every one by another and every one by his neighbour. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient and the base against the honourable. See that? Wow. This is what's referred to as the judgment of God upon a people that have rejected the word of God. The wise man has been removed. The honourable has been removed. The eloquent orator has been removed. All of these have been completely removed out of the way. And now there is none left but the children are going to be given to be our princes and our leaders. This is why there is such an emphasis in the world today with regards to youth, youth. Everything's about youth, youth, youth. And I understand that, I recognise that, the children are the future and yet we give them honour where honour is not due. Children in families are doing what they want to do and parents are forgetting that they are parents and they find themselves subjected to their children's demands and whims rather than actually giving them the correction that they require, um, they don't. Do you know God had made children with this gorgeous little place, it's a padded spot here, and they made a hand that fits nice and, nice and neat. It doesn't actually do anything but hurt the pride. It's all it does. It hurts the pride and the ego. And just one, usually it's only one, just one, and it does the... Miraculous. It's miraculous. I did that with my little daughter once, and she was chucking a tantrum within a supermarket and no, it's not a good place to be disciplining your child in that way. But she was throwing a tantrum and she was crying and everything else. She had nothing to cry about. So I just gave her one. It was just one. It was a nice firm one. She had a nappy as well because she was at, how old? would have been about two. She was walking anyway. And that was all that was required. Got her hand to hold on to the trolley. Do you know she never threw a tantrum in the supermarket ever again? Never. The thing is, when it comes to disciplining children, you don't have to do it very often. If you just do it right and you're doing it with love, it doesn't take much. Just one, just one. Fits. Perfect. But not here. Not here. Sorry? Now we can to, sorry, sorry. Sorry, we're going to have to cut that because you're public. not allowed to smack your children. Anyway, the reality is, beloved, this is what occurs. This is what happens when we have rejected the truth. We've lost discernment. 
We, we, we're forgetting to be the people that we need to be, to be wise. The Bible talks about that in the future times, that the people will gather to themselves men and they're having itching ears. They're desiring men to simply scratch them where they're itching. They don't want to be convicted with the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They just want to feel good about themselves. I'm sinning and I want to feel good that I'm sinning and I don't want anybody to judge me. And this is exactly what's happened in the world today. This is today's church. It's a matter of time, but before the word of God is rejected, man does not simply come up with his own laws, but the opposite. The laws are replaced, not updated. And so too will the word of God be. Never in history have we been in a state where good is seen so clearly as evil and evil seen as good. Where were the pastor's voices when this first happened? Where were their voices when it mattered the most? Now they're dealing with the symptoms of the causes and they're standing up. Too late. Too late. You've rejected the word of God from the beginning. It's too late. You can't deal with the symptoms now other than turn back to the word of the living God. What foundation are they going to be standing on now when they've rejected it? They've cut off the very limb that they stood on. They've dug a hole underneath them and fell into the pit below. And now what are they going to do? This is the permutation of truth. That was the introduction. Let me begin with the first point. It won't be any longer than usual. It might be a little bit, but bear with me. I'll pray that it goes quickly for you. Replacing good with evil begins obscurely. First point, replacing good with evil begins obscurely. Verse 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Even in the passage that is before us, we can see evidence of a gradual rise in wickedness. Among the people there is in their response to the Lord, the Lord laments them in verse 3. He says, What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done it? What more could have been done? He expected grapes in verse 4, but instead received wild grapes. And from there we see an ongoing degradation among the people, ending in this complete distortion of that which is right and wrong, good and evil. And the reason we're told is there in verse 24, because they've cast away the law of the Lord of hosts. That's the reason. It's a simple reason. It's not the only reason. But it begins obscurely. It begins subtly. It begins delicately, almost imperceptibly. And the advent of television was seen as an evil. Did you know that? When television first came out, it was in black and white, it was seen as a tremendous evil by Christians. But they were mocked. They were laughed at. The advent of rock and roll was said to corrupt the culture and the people who complained were again mocked. They were again mocked. And the early pictures of Elvis Presley swinging his hips, they would only actually capture the image from his waist up, right? Trying to preserve the minds of the individuals. But again, that was just the beginning inroads. They were mocked. We're living at the other end of that. When you saw YouTube created, I was there when YouTube was made and everybody I knew said how perverse it was. And now we all watch it. When Facebook was created, we all said it was disgusting and vain and would lead to misery. And yet most of us now have got an account. It's astounding how imperceptibly it comes in. But yet right at the beginning, we recognise the evil. But that's it. That's where it stops. That's where it stays. 
Beloved, I don't know about you, you might believe this, but I've got to tell you in all honesty so you're aware of this. The devil does not wear red pyjamas. He doesn't carry a pitchfork. He doesn't have horns on his head. That's not what the devil looks like. That's what the world wants you to believe he looks like. He wants you to believe that he is evil in every facet. He is ugly. He is wicked. The Bible tells us the exact opposite of that. Speaking directly to Satan, God says this in Ezekiel 28, 12. Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You're, you're it. You're it. You seal it all up. In you, there is absolute perfection. You were beautiful. Remember, beloved, evil comes riding in on a white horse in Revelation 6.2. It's a white horse. That's Antichrist. That's the devil. That's where evil comes riding in on a white horse. Not a black horse, a white horse. One of the first horses of the apocalypse. Now, my prop, I went, I was at, it's a wedge, right? It's a big steel wedge. It's fantastic. I bought it at a, uh, at a, at a I think it was a... a car boot sale or something like that years and years ago and I only ever bought it as a prop I wasn't a preacher at the time but I knew one day I would be and I wanted it as a prop and I'm sorry I don't have it here it is a brilliant steel wedge it's got a thick end and then it's got a very very pointy end now a wedge can be employed one way and one way only there's only one way that a wedge works in splitting timber it can never be used from the big end right it can never do its work at the big end. It needs to be inserted at the little end, the small end. Only the thin end can go in first when it finds an acceptable sized crack. When it finds an acceptable... It only needs then just a few taps to put it into place. And once you've got those few taps in, then it begins harder taps, harder taps, harder taps until it ends up splitting the wood. The permutation of truth did not begin overtly. The devil did not begin with replacing God's truth with his own. He first began by creating doubt in the word of God. Hath God said? Hath God said? And then, ye shall not surely die, the denial of the truth, and then the permutation of it. For God doth know that when ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That is the replacement theology. The original replacement theology is right there. In Genesis chapter 3. Then and only then did evil begin. In his brilliant lecture titled The Meaning of Meaning, Professor Michael Bauman actually speaks to something. He says there are people at large in the world who want to destroy the Western tradition of culture and some will do it overtly. They fly aeroplanes into buildings. You know what they're up to. They blow up buses in the middle of cities. You know what they're trying to do. But there are also those who are not so overt, he says. They try to destroy the Western tradition and Western culture in a more covert manner. Professor Bauman then goes on to actually speak about some different ways that they actually change it. They change how you mean meaning. Where do you derive meaning from? They change how you read. Now, now no longer is what the author had written has meaning within itself... Apparently now, there is no meaning until you apply it. You interpret the meaning. You give the meaning to whatever it is that the text is there. 
You've been it. Haven't you been there in Bible studies before? What does this text mean to you? What does this text mean to you? How many of you have actually said, well, who cares what this text means to me? What does it mean? No, most of you answered the question. You answered the question. What does the text mean to you? An example that Bauman does, and I'll do that here. Just give me a, a sentence, any four or five words. It doesn't matter what it is. Somebody give me a sentence. Whatever. You like to wear shirts. All right, well, you like to wear shirts. Um, If I'm going to be applying the meaning to that, is um, what you're actually saying is Collingwood is going to win the grand final this year. What are you laughing for? Well, you can't say no, because if the meaning is up to me, if I'm the one that gives the meaning to what he said, then you can't say that it's wrong, can you? This is exactly what they're teaching in our school classes today. And they've been teaching it for a long, long, long time. Been teaching it actually since the 1940s and 50s. That you apply meaning to a given text. So they do it that way. So they change how you read. Now the Bible doesn't mean what it says anymore. It means whatever you want it to mean. It means whatever you want it to mean. You go to a library now and you've got hundreds of thousands of meaningless books until you're there applying the meaning to what those books actually say. This is how they destroy the minds of individuals. Now everything becomes relative. It's no longer absolute. It's no longer what... Communication doesn't occur anymore. Communication doesn't occur. Communication is a person putting something, what's in his mind, putting it in writing if he's a good writer, and a person who's a good reader will read what that person put in writing and actually receive exactly what that person said. Now you have communication. You got it? But when that person can't write properly, then the communication is a bit fuzzy. When the person can't read properly, then the communication, again, doesn't occur. What's the point of reading anything? So people don't read today. But not only that, they also change the word of God. They also change the words. They change the words. And they've done this time and time again until ultimately at the end, there will no longer be a Bible. You don't believe me? Turn to Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8. It's in the Minor Prophets. In the Minor Prophets, I go past Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Jonah, Micah. It's after Jonah. Is it? I can't remember. Book of Amos. Chapter 8. It's after Joel. Joel Amos. That's right. Before Obadiah. It's before Obadiah, yeah? Sorry. Amos chapter 8. And this is the text. It says there in verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Has that ever happened yet? hasn't happened yet. Will it happen? It will absolutely 100% happen. 
It doesn't matter whether you are using an NIV, a KJV, a New King James, a Good News Bible, a NASB and all the other alphabetical Bible versions in the world. Eventually, every single Bible in the world will become illegal until finally we have one new version of Mao's Red Book for all the world, for that single world religion. It was Vladimir Lenin who coined the term useful idiots. He coined the term useful idiots. It's not a polite term, and though Vladimir Lenin applied it to people, I'm not going to apply it to people. I'm applying it to modern translations of the Bible. Let me explain. Lenin employed the term useful idiots to apply to the many people who both believed and sold their faith to the communist system. Once the system of government was created, Lenin then gained power in Russia. And in 1918, he unleashed what became known as the Red Terror. It was a state, quote, state-sanctioned campaign of mass killings and detentions to silence political enemies. The very people that actually put him into power would be the ones that would be destroyed by Lenin in order for him to maintain power. Okay? But it didn't end with him. These so-called political enemies, they had no idea that they were being used. They were being used initially for promoting a utopian view of socialism and instead they created the dystopian reality of communism. Lenin himself said the goal of socialism is communism. It's the thin end of the wedge, beloved. It's the thin end of the wedge. What sort of a nation is Australia? A democratic nation? No. We are now become a socialist nation. The goal of socialism is communism. It's interesting, you also said that medicine is the key, keystone of the arc of socialism. Medicine. Hmm. Let that sink in for a bit. After his death, after the death of Lenin, Joseph Stalin unfortunately came to power and he took the useful idiots to a completely new level. Many died of hunger that he created when he tried to succeed Lenin and he failed to do Lenin failed to do what's known as communal farming in the 1920s and many, many people died of hunger. Millions, in fact, died of hunger. And then he turned that about completely and reinstituted people having their own farms and employing their own people. Okay? Stalin tried to reinstitute that because he just believed that Lenin did it wrong. And in the end, you have the 1930 to 1933 famine in which five million people died. Stalin wanted to solidify power and so he blamed the famine on the so-called enemies of the working class. And from 1934 to 1939, over a million people were sent to the gulags, 700,000 of them killed in what was known as the Great Purge. Again, these were power people who, who helped actually put him into power. Lenin didn't want Stalin in power. He said, after I die, please let it not be Stalin. He's unstable. He became one of the most evil men in history. But again, one of the most famous examples of useful idiots in real life came from Adolf Hitler in what was known as the Night of the Long Knives. It was a purge of Nazi leaders by Hitler himself and he again used it to solidify power. These were the very leaders of the Nazi party. They were second in charge, including his second in charge, Greg Stasser. Gregor Stasser. His old comrade, Ernest Rom, his chief of staff, all this attended to by the faithful Henrik Heimler of the SS, who actually on one night killed hundreds of the elite of the Nazi party. 
in order to solidify Hitler's power. These are the useful idiots. When it comes to the Bible, and in light of both the prophecy of the book of Amos, which has never been fulfilled, and the knowledge of the final global religion of the world, it's not difficult to predict that a time is going to come where the book that you hold in your hand will be illegal in Australia and around the world. All the new versions of the Bible are just another useful idiot to actually propel and to deny the word of God completely. Every single one of them are one part of the wedge, one depth that that wedge has gone further and further into having you lose your faith in the word of God, never read the word of God and therefore believe whatever's going to come your way. There will be a little red book that will come and that'll be part of that new religion. The second point this one, they'll get shorter and shorter as we go, all right? Second point is here, replacing good with evil transitions intentionally. Transitions intentionally. It says in verse 20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. The intention is deliberate. Evil transitions intentionally. There is a definite move towards wanting people. They calling evil good. They're putting darkness for light. This is an active effort of individuals to force a transition of speech among you. We're seeing that happening today. Now, apparently, they, them are no longer plural pronouns. You have to apply them for a particular gender idea. You know, we've lost, then that's a forced speech. That's what's known as compelled speech. So they're forcing that. They're doing the work that they're doing deliberately. And this is an intentional effort. It's not, it's really interesting, you know. We know that evil exists, okay? We know that evil exists. But it's almost as if until we actually see it with our own eyes, until we actually, until we have our own home broken into until somebody actually comes and steals stuff directly from us and it's obvious it didn't just go missing, and until we actually catch somebody in a deliberate lie, we still get the impression that everybody's generally good, that there is no evil. Oh, they couldn't possibly be wanting to do that, could they? Well, this is the problem. The thief does come to steal and the murder does come to kill and the liar does come to lie. And all of this is a, is, a, is a significant picture that we have of Satan himself. In his discourses, it was Niccolo Machiavelli in the 15th century who said, for although the act condemns the doer, the end may justify him. Karl Marx changed that and Lenin promoted it to the ends justify the means. So the end in their mind is good then it doesn't matter what the means are. It doesn't matter what the means are. Now, biblical Christianity teaches what? The exact opposite, that the means determine the ends, right? But Satan has it the other way around. And the ends, as far as communism was concerned, was communism. Whatever propels communism is the end. Anything that goes ahead of that is good. 
When it comes to versions of the Bible, the end is a single new worldwide religion that's written of in Revelation 13 when all the world worships the beast. Turn in there with me. Revelation chapter 13. Should be easy enough to find. It's the last book. Unless you hit the concordance. Just go back a little bit. Revelation chapter 13. We'll skip through these verses fairly quickly so that way you can actually see the one world religion, the all the world worships. Revelation chapter 13, <coughs> verses 3 and 4. It says, And I saw... Revelation 13, verse 3. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him? Verses 7 and 8. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Notice, all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Verses 11 and 12. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now this is compelled. You can see it, it's being compelled here. They're being forced to worship. And last one, verse 15. It says, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that all, that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. This isn't the first time we see this. We see this in the book of Daniel, don't we? Remember that? They're all to fall down and worship the, the, the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They were forced to worship it. As soon as they heard the music and all the different types of music, they were to fall down and worship it. And if they didn't, they'd be thrown, they'd be thrown into the fire. Yeah, the friends of Daniel, thrown into the fire. This continues on and if you're willing and observant you're going to be able to see with absolute clarity that there has been a massive distortion in the Bible and if it's not about your Bible being able to be easily understood uh, it's a deliberate act to change it and to change it enough until you no longer trust it anymore. Some attend to this work as useful idiots and some do it deliberately. And yet you've already seen enough within the newsletters that I've given you over the last 10 or so weeks that the position that we hold with regards to our holding to the King James Version as the only word of God for the English-speaking people has been a position that's been held by the vast majority of Christians all over the world for the last 400 years. Some of you have missed it. I just want to give you a couple of quotes. You'll see this quoted by both of the people who believe that as well as the antagonists, the people that want the Bible changed. Let me give you one by Henry Venn. He was a pastor educated at Cambridge and he was a member of the Queen's College and mentor of men such as Charles Simeon and John Newton. In 1780, he said this, I must conclude we have the substance of the word of God as, 
as truly in a translation as in the Hebrew Bible. And that very real Christian who now devoutly ponders on his English Bible has before his eyes the oracles of God and no less hears his voice than if he could read the Hebrew. How wonderful is that? Do you need the Hebrew? You don't need the Hebrew, beloved. You have what you need in your hands. Yet in 1783, we've got this quotation from a detractor. He acknowledges the common belief held by the people. And this is in the essays, Moral and Literary Volume 1 in 1783. Vissimus Knox is the guy's name. He said, it is true indeed that some very devout and well-meaning people carry the prejudice too far when they profess to believe that our translation was written with the finger of the Almighty and that to alter a a tittle of it is to be guilty of blasphemy. But still, as the faith of such persons is strong and their intentions pious, it would be imprudent to shock their minds by an invocation which they could not help considering as an insult even on heaven. You see that? What is he doing? He's actually telling us, he's telling us that the very position that we hold as a church was the one held by the majority of English-speaking people. In 1857, at the other end of the spectrum, it was still believed, and this by by Thomas Kingsmill Abbott, about the English Bible and our duty with regards to it in 1857. He writes this, The general excellence of the English version, which is the only version that was available, that was around at the time, the King James Bible, the general excellence of the English version being admitted, its perfection is assumed, and therefore all preceding and subsequent versions must be unworthy of notice. Nay, even the original text need not be consulted. It is not strange then that any proposal for its improvement should be looked upon with as much alarm as if the British Constitution were to be revised, or the Scriptures themselves brought up to the present state of science. Many trust the English Bible as infallible. Hence, some make it a positive objection to a revision that it might be followed in time by another. Millions believe our English Bible is the code and canon of all truth. Again, a belief held by one individual, yet again this final detraction by the British conversationalist in the literary magazine, volumes 3 and 4, 1857. It is on this account, we believe, that so many deprecate a new translation or even revision of the Bible. They consider the authorised as sacred as the original text. Indeed, some have such a superstitious reverence for their own version that we are told that any change in it is such an alteration of the word of God as that against which there is so fearful a warning in Revelation 22, 18 to 19. Again, we are told that this innovation would destroy all biblical stability, that there would then be no end of revisions. No end of revisions. No end of revisions. Every year a revision. But to end all permanence and respect for it. That was spoken about in 1857. We are living in a time when that prophecy has been fulfilled. It was a prophecy of a a detractor. Not a prophecy so much, but you understand. He's seeing the logic of it. 
as long as we're going to continue to come out with a new revision, a new revision, a new revision, a new revision, we will eventually lose all respect for it. Is Satan a genius or what? He knows exactly what he's doing, exactly what he's doing. He might be insane, but he's not stupid. He's definitely not stupid. You've seen all this. You've seen it come past. You've seen all the alterations that have been made. That there is not going, if there's not going to be one, there's going to be none. And the magazine above makes mention of this, that there would be no end of revisions and emendations, but an end to all permanence and respect for it. Now, listen to the words of one individual by the name of Fenton John Anthony Hort to Brooke Fost Westcott. These are two of the men that are going to appear in our 12 Apostles of the Secular World Study. These are the ones through whom every modern translation of the Bible today have as their foundation. It was their invented Greek text that underlies every single modern version of the Bible today. Their Greek text, plus a plurality of other scarce ones here and there. This is what Hort wrote to Westcott in 1861, on April 12th. Alas, also, but this may be cowardice. I have a sort of craving that our text should be cast upon the world before we deal with matters likely to brand us with suspicion. I mean a text issued by men already known for what will undoubtedly be treated as dangerous heresy will have great difficulties in finding its way to, relig to regions which it might otherwise hope to reach and whence it would not be easily banished by subsequent alarms. That's in the life and letters of John Anthony Hort by his son, compiled by his son. Here we have the replacing of good with evil in is being transitioned intentionally. These two men who we're going to be discussing at length in the study that's going to be coming up were already being dealt with by men such as Dean John Burgon, who lived at the time, wrote a book called The Revision Revised. He's actually quite a funny guy, very, very smart guy, and he puts their ideas completely to bed. Yet, even though the revised version of the Bible didn't really see the light of day, not in the popular circles, it was the thin end of the wedge. It was the thin end of the wedge. It's their Greek text and a smorgasbord of others that is used by modern translations today. Third point, short one, this one, but this one's going to give you some examples and I pray that you would listen. Replacing good with evil propels ignorantly. Propels ignorantly. Verse 24 says, Therefore as the fire devoureth a stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness and their blossom shall go up as dust. Because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Both stubble and chaff are elements of the grain that is left over. They're not good anymore. You can't really use them for much more than burning them, right? But what they do have a habit of being able to do is they continue the fire. They, they give fuel to the fire. They propel it all the way along. They don't do anything of themselves. They didn't start the fire. But at the same time, they fuel it. They fuel it. And this is what ignorance does. Ignorance doesn't actually start the fire. It didn't ignite the fire, but it propels it along. It helps it gain traction and continue on and on until there finally is a wall there through which the fire can no longer penetrate. We put breaks in place. And maybe that's what we're trying to do here. 
with you guys. Maybe what we're trying to do is put a fire break in. Just trying to stop it from coming any further, at least among us, in the hope that maybe we might be able to share the hope of Christ. This is the reality of this. If we are willfully ignorant of the Bible, those unwilling to consider the truth of the matter will not be willing to work circumspectly. In other words, they won't be willing to open their eyes and look around. Good men have been swept up in this error. But are you just at such a risk? How much are you also adding to the words to the world's ignorance? The world is ignorant and they're turning things inside out. One of the things that's going to be happening is, in order to get to this final world religion, I just want to move away from my notes so I can summarise this. You have to change the Bible. The method of changing the Bible is to move it through a new age system. Because spirituality, spiritual, spirituality it doesn't sort of go away. People still spiritual things. It was G.K. Chesterton that said, um, when people don't believe in something, they don't go to believing in nothing. They believe anything. Anything. This is exactly what's happening. So we turn away from the word of God, which is our, our, sta- our stable foundation. But once that's been removed we then start looking for something somewhere else. We'll use feelings and emotion oftentimes to try and justify what it is that we're believing and holding on to. And we have to move through a new age system. Now, the new age system, as you all know, is a pluralistic system. So they don't believe in the God, they believe just in a God. They don't believe in the way, they believe in a way. They don't believe in one way for anything or one truth for anything, but all things are true. It was our famous friend, the Bhagwan Rajneesh, some of you might know who that was, who said this, he said, fundamentalist Christians believe that Christianity is the only religion. These are primitive ideas, he writes. The satanic Alice Bailey said, God works in many ways through many faiths. She's the heiress of Helena Blavatsky's satanic theosophical society called Lucifer Trust. Lucifer Trust still exists today, do you know? And it is as popular as ever. Only thing is they've changed the name a little bit. It's now Lucis Trust. It's changed a while ago. Lucis Trust. Apparently Lucifer Trust raised too many eyebrows. Maybe, Maybe Hollywood's Grammys might have raised some eyebrows too. So modern versions of the Bible, working through some ignorant Christians, change the Bible to meet a more pluralistic idea, moving towards a more new age system of employment, where the Bible preaches the gospel, the new versions preach a gospel. Where the Bible preaches the words, the new versions preach a message. The God is a God, the Son is a Son, the Saviour is a Saviour, the world is an age. John 6, 68 says, Thou hast the words of eternal life. The NASB says, You have words of eternal life. The word the is omitted. The is what? Singular or plural? It's singular. You have the words of eternal life. The NSB, you have words of eternal life. Revelation 14.6, the everlasting gospel. 
the NASB, an eternal gospel, the Good News Bible, an eternal message, the ESV, an eternal gospel. Titus 1.4, the common faith, the New King James Version, our common faith. What does that do? Does that change it a bit? Just think about it for a second. The common faith is changed to our common faith. That's just what we believe. That's our truth. That's our truth. The NIV, our common faith. The NASB, a common faith. The ESV, a common faith. Just one. One among many. Acts 14.27 writes, The door of faith. The NIV, a door of faith. The NASB, a door of faith. The ESV, a door of faith. Just one. One among many. Just, just one door of faith. It, again, it takes away that stability. It takes away the assurance. It takes away the, the footing, the foothold, the absolute. It removes it. Mark 1.14, the baptism of repentance. The New King James Version, a baptism of repentance. The NIV follows suit, a baptism of repentance. The NASB, a baptism of repentance. The ESV, a baptism of repentance. Against one among potentially many. Beloved, this is another gospel. There's nothing else you could say about it. Modern translations teach another gospel. Luke 4.4, 4, a man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. How important is the word of God? How should we live? How are we going to get nourished? How are we going to get fed? How are we going to have the energy to be able to face this world that's coming up? We don't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. It's so fundamentally important. There's no alternative bread given. There's no alternative given in the modern translations. But by every word of God is omitted in the NIV. It just says man shall not live by bread alone. That's it. The NASB omitted. The New Living Translation omitted. The Good News Bible omitted, the ESV omitted, the New Century Version omitted, the Holman Christian Standard omitted, the New American Bible omitted, today's NIV omitted. Omitted. How are you going to live? Where are you going to get the energy to be able to preach the gospel to a dying world? Well, you're not going to be able to get it in these translations because you're not going to be able to live by every word of God. We live by every word of God, beloved. Little wonder Christians do not nourish themselves on the word of God. Little wonder ignorance of this fundamental issue of Bible versions remains hidden. The word of God which opens our eyes to the truth and discernment Christians no longer live by. And sadly this is also the case among the most biblical churches also. What part, this is the challenging part, what part are you playing in the world's move toward replacing Christianity with Antichrist, one world religion. What part are you playing? Let me be as frank as I can with you. If you are not reading your Bible, you are playing indirectly a major part. You are playing a major part because you are going to be continually ignorant to the evil that is around you. You are going to be undiscerning of what is actually going on in the world, what is going on affecting your own children. You're going to be ignorant to what they're watching on television. You're going to be ignorant to what they're learning at school. The only reason Christians still think that it's okay to send their children to a public or a private school rather than homeschool them 
is because they do not have the discernment that comes from reading the Bible. What you're doing, you might be okay, you might not be swept away, but the problem is you're allowing your children to be swept away. So we're one generation away from a complete corruption where good is turned to evil. And this is evident of what we can see today. Christian, you've got a responsibility. I've been preaching here for nearly, we're coming on six and a half, seven years. And the one thing, the one message I keep banging home all the time, it's almost like I've just got to preach the same message all the time. Then once we do that one, I can move on to another one. You know, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. Pray, pray, pray. Every day read your Bible, every day pray. If you're not setting aside time to read your Bible every day, you're not setting aside time to pray every day, you are going to open yourself up to this inability to discern good from evil. And I don't care. You want to say you're dyslexic? Fine, listen to it. You know? But the reality is, I don't, you know, telling me that you don't have time also doesn't cut it. I don't want to hear it. All right? Because I had a business, I started work at 7 o'clock in the morning. I used to be up at 4.30 reading the scriptures. You can do it. You can do it. You know? It's not an excuse. I don't have time. I hear it all the time. It's just, so just don't, don't give it to me anymore, please. All right? I'm too busy. I, I don't want to hear it. Right? It's the priority, the priority. And we do not want to be adding to this world turning inside out. Please don't be upset with me. Please don't be upset with me. I'm just trying to tell you that replacing good with evil propels ignorantly. It propels ignorantly. And we, I don't want us to be adding to it, that's all. I don't want us to be adding to it. I don't want there to be parts of our lives that is adding to this world's woes. But our ignorance will. Replacing good with evil ends badly. It's a very short point. Do you get the point? Because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despises the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against his people and he hath stretched forth his hand against them and hath smitten them. And the hills did tremble and the carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. It's not difficult to understand that calling good evil and evil good doesn't change the reality of what good and evil are. It's not too difficult to recognise that. Putting darkness for light and light for darkness or bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. No such mental permutation or replacement will alter the fact that, that, that light and darkness are two different things and they are opposite one to another and trying to mutate one into the other doesn't work. Our taste buds can discern that which is sweet and that which is bitter and again no amount of mental arithmetic is going to change that. The reality remains real. God certainly will reward all evil according to its doing and gather the good to be with him forever. We're now living in a time where the truth of God's word has been removed from those who were once called the people of the book. You know, Muslims used to refer to Christians as the people of the book. You would ask yourself the question if any Muslim would think of Christians that way today. How many even bring their books to the to church? You know, a lot of times it's just left on at home, or it's it's just it's just not there anymore. We don't read it. We don't even know where it is. Let me give you one final example. Some in this church who 
love the Lord and desire to do his work and his will. But without the word of God, you have no ability to be able to do his word or his will. A wedge, a wedge can only find a crack. If it's a solid piece of wood, you can bang as much as you like a wedge anywhere and it just won't find purchase. But a crack only ever appears in dead or dying trees. Never appears in a live one. Never appears in a live one. You'll never see a person successfully splitting a healthy tree with a wedge. Never. Never. Never, never, never. But if you're a dead or a dying Christian, if the Word of God hasn't got a place within you, it won't take long for sin or something like that to allow that wedge to find a little crack and then all it needs is a little tap. Something that happens in your life that's, that's difficult to deal with. Tap. Somebody calls you something or says something wrong about you. Tap, tap. Something happens. Somebody does you a, a wrong service. Somebody steals something from you. Tap. Where's God? Where's God? Where is he? Why doesn't he answer me when I call? A wedge will only split wood if there's a crack. And the only way to have not being a crack there is to be alive. 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 Alive for the Lord. Alive for his word. Looking at the book of books as, as, as if it's your very life. As if it is your food and your meat every single day. Being nourished in it. Being fed by it. The Bible says we shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in season. His leaf shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. There will be no cracks, beloved, none. But I guarantee you, as God is my witness, if you are not spending time in his word and reading it and enjoying him and praying there will be cracks and the devil is looking for them everywhere and every single day and he'll throw a wedge in there. Now the difference is for us is that we can repel the wedge once it's in. We can say, no, nah, this far but no further, get out. We can deal with it that way. So it's not a perfect analogy, all right? We can spit it out. But don't let it go in in the first place because you don't know how far it can be driven. You don't know how far it can be driven. You have the very word of God in your hands. Read it, love it, enjoy it, be blessed by it, trust it, just trust it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the word of God. There may be some, dear Lord, here that don't even know you. And I ask and pray, dear Father, please, that you would do a work within their hearts and lives that they may believe the gospel of Christ, that they may turn to you, dear Father, with all their heart, mind, soul and strength that they may believe the words of the living God, that they may be born again, they may be saved, and they may rejoice in the wonderful hope that you have for them. And for those of us, dear Lord, who have struggled, struggled in our walk, we know, dear Father, we recognise, Lord, our own shortcomings. I pray, dear Lord, that you would forgive all of them and that they may seek you out, that in every way, dear Lord, that they may seek your face, that they may be forgiven of you directly. Please, dear Lord, hear their prayers, hear them as they pray. And give us strength, dear Lord, to walk day by day, knowing what prioritises each and every day. That without your word, we have no bread. 
We cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I ask and pray, dear Lord, be with this congregation and bless them, bless them abundantly until you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.